All right, so for today's episode, I'm very excited to share with you a private presentation that I did for our mastermind, the Tycoon Tribe. This is just for people that own at least a seven-figure e-commerce business. Uh, so this is a presentation I did on the two master skills of marketing. I've spent the past 14 years trying to figure out this marketing thing. Started with paid ads, then really figured out conversion optimization. Now I'm sort of cracking the code on social media, and it all ends up using the same skills. I've been able to use these skills to grow one business um, that's now produced over $100 million in sales, does about $37 million a year, another business that has done um, well over $100 million in sales, and then basically use these same skills, uh, in addition to basic business skills, to teach other people that have produced over $10 billion in sales. And so this is kind of my masterclass and the two biggest skills in marketing that you can apply to any business, especially an e-commerce business, and use it to get a heck of a lot more sales and so that allows you to have the cash flow to pay yourself more, to fund growth of your business, hire employees, and all those good things. So please enjoy. All right, so the last thing I want to chat about is the two master skills of marketing. So we've touched on a lot of this kind of stuff, but I feel like if you can really get these, these two things right, you can produce more revenue in just about any business. Like out of all the things that I've done over the years trying to improve businesses, I feel like where I've spent the most time and have probably built the most skill is on the marketing side. So I'm trying to pass on these things to you all so that in your own businesses, you can really drive as much sales as is possible. And I feel like these are the two most important things. Pull, getting people actually to pay attention to you, and persuasion, convincing them to do something. Usually buy something, possibly sign up as a lead, possibly give you a review. It's all tapping into the same kind of psychology. Convincing somebody to do something after you've grabbed their attention. So first thing we're gonna talk about is pull. As I told you all, this was not my brand. I couldn't, I don't even know where I would even be able to find my old brand. But uh, this is the first product that I had kind of blowing up in my e-commerce store that kind of came out of nowhere. Like it surprised me, all of a sudden it was the best selling product in my store and I was like, I had no idea what this thing even is. So I started looking at it and the lesson that taught me is sometimes it's easier just to, I guess kind of like Ben was saying, is ride the waves of stuff that's already happening. Like don't fight against it. A lot of times we wanna force a product to work, but our lives are so much easier when we just do stuff that's already working, including going into complete markets, including going into complete products. Like it is a little bit of an art trying to figure out like what's going to be a fad versus what's gonna be a long-term trend. But aside from that kind of complication, it's better to sell something that's already selling well than trying to force something that you really want to work that's just not really working. And so that's, that's what I think we're trying to do here. You know, Buffett talks a lot about headwinds versus tailwinds. Like, it's, your life is so much easier when you've got a tailwind pushing you uh, because the market is already growing, the product category is growing, the social trend, which we'll talk about, is growing versus just fighting against all that stuff because you're trying to force something to work. Maybe a product that's been declining for a couple of years, you're saying, like, no, I want to keep this thing working. Like, all that same time and effort would probably be so much easier spent if you put it in something that's already growing. Uh, <laughs> I have this guy in here again. Uh, this is Takashi69. Not a good role model in life, uh, but very good at getting people to pay attention. So I think at our very first mastermind, I showed the difference between Snoop Dogg and this guy. So Snoop Dogg back in the day, today looks like a boring rapper. Back in the day, it was probably edgier. This guy went from nowhere to like blowing up on all the charts, partially because he was the first to like look like this. He's like a 15-year-old with face tattoos. He's got rainbow grill, rainbow hair. Like this is not your typical like rapper at the time. Now they've gone more extreme. This grabs people's attention. If you think about on social media now, 
um, you have like half a second to grab somebody's attention. So I'm not saying this is what you should do with your personal appearance. Um, but from a business and branding standpoint, you don't want to be boring. That's really what you don't want to do. What usually fails on social media is when people are too boring, which is what most social media managers, if you hire and say put out some nice social media posts, they put out some nice social media posts that are very boring and nobody wants to pay any attention. You got to do something more interesting. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, obnoxious like this necessarily, but something that grabs their attention. And that's why they always talk about having like a hook inside of the first few seconds of your video. Applies to a sales page, applies to an ad, applies to a social media video. Think about, like if I was scrolling through my feed on anything, would I pay attention to this in the first couple seconds? That is important, it does matter now more than just about anything. I don't know who actually said this, but I like this old Fisher guy. But I fish where the fish are. Good life motto is if you want to produce sales, if you want to grab attention, go where all that traffic and visibility is already happening rather than trying to force something to happen. But 90 Day Fiance, um, they found a model, a show that worked. They created 18 spinoffs. Like why go out there and reinvent the wheel when you, when you could just keep redoing the same thing that keeps working better and better and better and better and better. That's why almost always whenever I look at any one of you all's business and we've talked either one-on-one -on -one or uh, in here, like the first thing I'm always looking, like what's already working? Like can you do more of that? If they have a competitor, if they're looking for new products to sell, why not just look at your competitors and see what's already selling well for them? Like why overcomplicate things, add those, and eventually you cap out and maybe you have to be more creative, but at first just look at what's already working and just try to do more of that stuff. Um, that's a good place to start rather than overcomplicating things and trying to invent new stuff. So when you're trying to pull people into your ecosphere, find out what's already working. If you want to find ads that work, look at your competitors and copy their ads or do something fairly similar. Um, good place to start rather than kind of reinventing the wheel. And so I was like, why don't you sell one of these? And she has some reasons and maybe she's right and I'm wrong. But if I was in her shoes, I would be looking at that and be like, why don't I just sell this thing, but then try to do something a little better or different. I think it's a good place to start, especially because your risk is probably not that high. Like you're not changing the whole brand name or whatever. It's like if you try that product out and it fails, like you don't lose that much. Like you've already got your supply chain figured out and all that kind of stuff. What would it cost you to test out a product like that? Yeah, a couple thousand dollars and say just to be conservative, you spend another couple thousand on marketing. So $4,000, that product when I was checking it out, and I wanna say it did like eight or 900 grand a month or something on Amazon, I mean they're number one. Um, and she's number one in her subcategory, so they do very well. And so they do eight or 900 grand a month. And so it's like, maybe you wouldn't get all the way there, but say you get half of the way there, you risk four grand and you have a $400,000 a month product. Like that I think is like much easier than trying to invent something new you have no idea if it's gonna sell well. So find stuff that's already working and see if you can double down and do more of that. Uh, as an example, Callie and I were in Nordstrom uh, recently. I don't know what the heck we were buying. Oh, I think I was getting some cologne. Um, and so we're in Nordstrom. I see these shoes, which to me look a lot like these shoes. These ones up here, were $22.90 when they first came out. Who wants to guess how much these are? $3.95. What is it, $3.95? $20, that's, they should be. $2.50? How much? $600. Yeah. They look dirty too. Like they're new, but they look dirty. But it's like, what the hell? It's like people are buying them. And it was not just like one pair. Like it's a big, it's like the size of this table. Uh, there's a lot of people buying these things. And I'm like, who cares? You sell tennis shoes, you might as well sell some of these. Like if people are buying and people want them, sell them to them, like it's totally fine. And so it's not fighting these trends, it's tapping into them if you wanna grab attention. 
Vine was not the social media platform. First social media platform to do what TikTok does. Uh, TikTok modeled what they did after them in terms of the vertical video stuff. They just did it better, but they found a trend that was already working and they innovated and made it better. And now it's whatever billion dollar company. Uh, Facebook, not the social, first social media platform by far. They found something that was working, they did it better. They also seem to copy every single feature that every other social media platform comes out with, which is fine. It's like, maybe they feel like they're not being super unique and other people are like, oh my God, you just copied them. But they've also got like, I don't know what the company is, hundreds of billions of dollars on the line. They can't afford to let their ego get involved and let their company get crushed. So they copy their features and some of them work, some of them don't, but at least they don't have to worry about that happening to them. They talk about this in this book, by the way, but they talk about copying the innovations of your competitors. So that like, if there's a chance that innovation ends up being super important for that competitor and they end up dwarfing what you have going on in your business, that's too much of a risk to take. That's why all these big companies, as soon as there's some big trend, AI or whatever, they all gotta talk about all the AI stuff that they're doing. Because they don't wanna take the risk that ends up eating their company alive. And so it's not a bad idea to emulate what other competitors are doing when your brand gets to that point so you don't run the risk of that eating your business alive. For example, for us at LifeBoost, we don't want an excuse for somebody to go buy from somebody else just because we don't have that product. But we don't wanna give people an excuse to buy from other competitors, even if we feel like we don't like them. So it's like we do the healthiest version possible, we try to make them compostable, all that kind of stuff that we think is more environmentally friendly, um, but we don't want that to be an excuse for people not to buy our product because we don't personally like it. So when you're trying to pull people into your thing, you kinda of gotta remove yourself from there and figure out like what is working out in the world and how do I apply that to my business. Another example, Lululemon. Uh, I think I checked, they're a $4 billion valuation right now. $4 billion valuation, I think on their last funding round, they'll probably end up going public at some point. I don't think they are now. Uh, $4 billion valuation. They were not the first uh, athleisure company. Lululemon, I don't know if they were the first either, but Lululemon, they blew up afterwards, but they were not the first either but they found something that was really working. And it doesn't mean that person has to be the only one that has that. Like I've been kind of thinking, um, like you see these products blowing up, it's okay to be the number two. Like if Athletic Greens is selling hundreds of millions of dollars a year's worth of greens powder, and that's in your market, why not sell a greens powder? Like it's clearly working. You don't have to let somebody else dominate that whole space. I mean, that's what all these big companies do. Like, you know, uh, I don't think they did a very good job, but Microsoft coming out with Bing, they gave it a try and it's still a massive part of the business, just nowhere near as good as Google. Um, but you don't have to let somebody else eat up all the market share. If it's working for them, you can build a great business being number two in that space. Um, so if you find anything working for your competitors, you don't have to think they're like, oh no, that opportunity's gone forever. You can take it and you can probably still build a really nice business, even if you only do <laughs> like 25% of their sales. Still totally fine. Our ads, for example, goal was to not be boring. Uh, so big black headline, uh, truth about our coffee, stuff that grabs people's attention. And so we try to grab attention from the beginning. Uh, our first ad that started working really well were literally just the stuff we would see blowing up on TikTok. So we grabbed our own stock footage and stuff. Uh, in some cases did some ourselves, but more just stock footage. We saw it working on TikTok, we modeled that for our ads. It's not boring, for whatever reason it's working. It's like, would, we would it convince us to buy and click? Like, we may not think so, but it's working in other places, so why not try it for ourselves? It's not boring, and we see it working on other platforms. <laughs> this is Manscaped. Uh, this is their box. They blew up from nothing. I think they ended up getting acquired, but it was basically men's grooming razors sort of things. But all their videos were like really like suggestive. Like the guy was like about to stick the thing down the pants, and the ad cuts off. 
uh, but they blew up from nothing out of nowhere, literally selling the same product that's probably not that much different than like the thousand of them you can go buy at CVS or something. Uh, but they're not boring, grab people's attention. And so if you want to pull people into your space, like having creative that works can sometimes cut your ad costs like in half or even more. And so spending a little time to figure out how to not be like boring and tapping into some themes that are already working for other people is a good place to start. This is a restaurant we went to in Las Vegas by Vanderpump. Um, so hers is interesting because it's a restaurant. So I'm giving you like a different kind of example. So this uh, restaurant is interesting because it's obviously like a certain demographic that gets very excited about this kind of thing, but it's not boring. Like people love taking photos in here. Their drinks are super interesting, very Instagrammable, um, but they're doing something to stand out. And so I feel like most of us in our brands, whether it's uh, the actual products we sell, the branding, the ads we run, especially the social media posts, we've constantly got to be looking at like, how do we get more mileage out of this thing? And usually it's part of not being boring. So second part, once you've pulled people in, is how do you actually convince them to do what you want, to take the next step in this process. So I think there's really like four of the most important kind of building blocks here. Uh, talk in terms of the other person's interests. This is one we still get wrong. After all this copy we've written and stuff, is like a lot of times you'll write something, you'll put something out there, and it's more focused on yourself. You'll just be like, 20% off today, 20% off. And it's like, if you put yourself in the mind of the person you're trying to sell, like is that really what they care about right now? Like, or is there something else? And so you constantly have to think, like, are we talking about in terms of what they want? Like, the only people who are going to really care if there's a 20% off discount are the ones who are already sold on the product. Otherwise, it's not gonna matter. You can give the product away for free and they're not gonna care, unless they're already sold on the product. Those people, and if the only thing that's keeping them from buying is a bigger discount, that's for them. For everyone else, you're likely gonna have to move further up the kind of like psychological funnel and figure out what is it gonna convince them to actually pay attention to this thing? Like what benefit usually do they really want out of this that's gonna convince them to actually pay attention? Authority and credibility is definitely kind of a, a hack in this space, and I've got an example in here. Scarcity is a big one that we've also missed, had a lot of pain, put out a bunch of promotions, forgot to have any reason for them to buy right now, and almost inevitably produce half the results that we could otherwise, and social proof. I think if you do these, th these four right, this is like the 80% of converting people into doing whatever you want. Um, buying something, signing up for a lead, giving you a testimonial, giving you a review, any of that kind of stuff. For example, this is a great example of authority. Like, how the hell does having this actor make the alcohol any better? It doesn't. But we're trained to respect the sort of authority and credibility that comes from having some sort of celebrity. Uh, and so that kind of stuff does matter. Um, so any way you can kind of engineer that for your business, such as uh, building any credentials or awards, um, that's very important. If there's anything in your space that applies from a credentialing standpoint, award standpoint, like, you know, Charles being a doctor, that sort of thing kind of helps. Uh, any awards you can win, any sites that have said you're number one at this, that kind of stuff, people tend to respect it, even if there may be some doubt in their mind that this thing is actually true. But if there's anything you can do there, engineer that. Because a lot of times, those award things, depending on it, they may just be looking at people, looking for people to feature and talk about. Like, there's maybe some awards out there that are like, best kids toy of 2024, 2023, or something like that. And you can sometimes just reach out to 20 of those, and then one of them may give it to you. More likely than if you don't reach out. And so if there's any of that kind of stuff you can get, that'll just help you build your credentials and awards. Uh, media mentions is another thing. A good way to get some basic media mentions is just to run a premium press release. You spend your 300 bucks, 
You may get a bunch of no-name sites that you've never heard of before, but you can still throw those logos on your website and say, we've been featured on KXFZ News site. <laughs> Nobody knows what it is, but it's still something. Um, you can always start there and then work your way up the chain. That's basically what we did. We ran some of those things. We had all these new sites nobody ever heard of. But then when we started having real media mentions, we slowly swapped out those like no-name ones with bigger ones that we had data to back up that we'd actually been featured by them and stuff. And so that's, uh, that's a big one. We already talked a lot about design quality. So having those things to build that authority on your site is going to make a huge difference for your brand in terms of persuading people to buy. This guy has endorsed every product known to man. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, did, what does he know about mustard, I guess, or whatever that is? Doesn't matter. People respect it because he's like a big celebrity. So I'm not saying we all need this mega celebrity, but people tend to respect these sort of things. Uh, scarcity is another big one. So these people, and it's super annoying, see my size too long. They never have it in stock because they do these limited runs, and I'm too, uh, I don't know, lazy or whatever it is to actually go follow them on social media and stuff. And so, and I can never buy one generally. Um, they have scarcity, they use like crazy, and every time they run out of stock. Um, so anytime you can use scarcity, like if you look at your landing pages, your product pages, uh, any of that kind of stuff, if you can engineer scarcity in there, you're going to sell more. Um, even if it's kind of implied scarcity, like in stock now, uh, ready to ship now, that kind of thing will do more than if you don't have that available. Snow Teeth Whitening, they did a great job about the social proof side. Uh, dentist approved and recommended, loved by over two million customers. Uh, they have these tons of influencers and celebrities and just people that have shot little screenshots. It just kind of backs it up that like, they're selling, back in the day anyways, a teeth whitening kit for 200 bucks where you could go buy one for 50 bucks that probably did the same thing, but they had so much proof in there. And they would drive scarcity also with some 25% off today. And you're like, well, this is a great deal, so I'm gonna go buy one. Uh, but they had so much proof built in there that you're like, well, and they have a guarantee, like maybe they are, maybe this is actually better. You've got all these people, you've got 50 different photos of people using the thing, so then maybe I should actually go buy this thing and give it a try. So they did that really well. Um, and I think this is the, yeah, this is the last part. And so one company that has done this extremely well, uh, Nutrafol, which is a hair supplement, they did $175 million in sales in 2021. Uh, first off, their design quality, if you look at that at the top, and their whole website, very nice, very, very clean, all stuff we could do, doesn't necessarily require like, the world's biggest budget. They use credibility uh, a lot, join the one million plus growing, so they're showing they've served a lot of customers. Uh, so if you have any sort of number like this, yours may not be a million, yours could be 10,000, that still seems like a lot to most people. So if you add up the total number of orders you ever did, that's one credibility point you should have somewhere on your website and on every product page, maybe in every ad, like Snow Teeth Whitening. Number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement brand. And so this is where you're kind of getting into stuff. You may have to back up and check with your lawyers and that kind of thing. But they're also backing this up with some claims there. Uh, 30 plus wellness, beauty, and innovation awards from top media outlets. So they're tracking these things because they're just stacking credibility on credibility on credibility. Because especially in this space selling supplements, people don't believe anything because they've been sold for 50 years, all kinds of supplements that promised the moon but didn't actually do anything uh, or did very little compared to the other ones. And so you almost have to go even more extreme in this space to get people to believe anything. But imagine if you do this stuff in a space that hasn't been kind of beat to heck by that kind of thing. Like you're just gonna crush everybody. As big as of a company they are, $175 million in sales, they still add their little media mentions here. So if that is still important for them to do at $175 million in sales, for us doing much less than that, 
uh, it's still going to be super important for us to do. And there are PR companies, so that's perfect. There's companies out there that'll do that kind of thing. I don't have a recommendation because I haven't used them in forever, but I used one back in the day and they got me in Forbes, CNBC, like all those companies, they're just hungry for people to write articles. So a lot of times, like it's not like you have to be a world's greatest expert. You just give them like an article, then that takes their load off that writer for that day, and you can get in those kind of sites. So you don't have to do like a million of these. Like that's why I stopped using the service because then I could say I was in Forbes, Success Magazine, CNBC, but then after that, it's like who cares? Like it's not actually driving traffic. But now you can say you've been in all these things and you have the data and screenshots to back that up. So this is a thing that you can engineer for your brand, and you really only have to do it once because it's not about the traffic. It's about having the credibility. Uh, they have. Before and after photos, once again, check with your lawyers on this stuff. Uh, but super nice, high quality photos, they've got a quote from them. So this is interesting. There's something psychologically happening here, is that we tend to respond to having these bigger data points, a million customers served, but there's also something called like the availability bias, where we also respond disproportionately to like an individual story. And so for whatever reason, psychologically, we get involved in somebody's story. So that's another level of convincing people. So they're taking literally every psychological box you could imagine. They've got the big numbers, but they've also got deep individual stories. So then I'm like, oh, okay, like, I may not believe they're one million whatever, but I believe Jason. Jason uh, seems to have a credible story. Jason is like me. I like where Jason's from, you know, whatever. And so having those individual stories, also super important. Lydia, obviously completely different, um, uh, gender, age, race, all this kind of stuff. So having a variety of those things is also good because people are going to uh, probably most be convinced to buy from people that are like them. If you're trying to sell to both men and women and somebody is a woman that's looking at your site, she's probably gonna be more likely to buy if she sees that other women like her have been happy with the product. And so having a variety of these things on your site, if you deal with the different demographics, is also gonna help you sell more. So as far as selling as much as humanly possible, figure out how to not be boring, pull people into your ecosphere, and then convert them, really just using those four main things that I'll circle back on just real quick because those are the big ones. Talk in terms of the other person's interests, use authority and credibility, scarcity and social proof. If you do just those things, those four things, and you do them well, you'll probably outsell everyone in your space. And these are all things that we constantly have to like cycle through. Look at your, you may have done some of this before, but look at your landing pages, your product pages, that kind of stuff now, and see if you're ticking all these boxes. All right, so hopefully you enjoyed that presentation from our mastermind on the two master skills of marketing. So we're in a 30-day series right now where we're digging deep on how to find a massive breakthrough in your e-commerce business, whether that's one you already own or are going to be starting this year in 2024. So stay tuned and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. If you want the video format of the episode that we just did, go to my YouTube channel. Uh, the easiest way to get there probably is just to go to my blog, Matt A, as in Alexander, that's my middle name, mattaclark.com slash podcast. And I've got all the links there, including my YouTube. But my YouTube handle, I believe, is Matt underscore Clark. And if you just search my name, you'll probably find it there also. But we'll have a video version of this where you may be able to see some of the visuals I talked about as well. But either way, can't wait to see you tomorrow. Uh, please access all of these episodes on uh, your favorite podcasting platform or on YouTube. We're about halfway through, a little bit more, I think, of this 30-day series on finding the breakthrough in your e-commerce business. We've covered making sure you're in the right market, have the right products, and now we're digging deep on marketing. We still have a lot further to go. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.